0: This morning, if you, looked at, if, if you looked at the words of the songs we were singing, so many of them talked about difficult times. Difficulty that, that we go through. Anyone here ever gone through difficulty in your life? If your hand's not up, you're a liar. Um, <laughs> and now you're going through difficulty because your pastor called you a liar. No. Um <laughs> we go through difficult times because we live in this fallen, broken world. And, and so many things can happen. And this morning, we come to the, the point in, in studying the life of Christ and studying His ministry where we get to the darkest, darkest time of His life and the darkest hour as we're going to see in a moment. But I want to start by reading a little bit about Polycarp. I don't know if you've heard of him. He was a disciple of John the Apostle. So we're going back to very early church history. And Polycarp, the bishop of Smyrna, the disciple of John the Apostle, became an early Christian martyr. He was called before a Roman proconsul in a stadium and ordered to deny Christ publicly or be executed. He responded, 86 years I have served him and he never did me any injury. How then can I blaspheme my king and my savior? The proconsul then threatened to throw Polycarp to the beasts, to which he replied, call them then for we are not accustomed to repent of what is good in order to adopt that which is evil. You go. (laughs) And it is well for me to be changed from what is evil to what is righteous. Finally, seeing that Polycarp was unfazed by these threats, the proconsul told him he would be burned at the stake. Polycarp replied, You threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and after a little while is extinguished, but are ignorant of the fire of the coming judgment and of eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. But why do you tarry? Bring forth what you will. What an amazing story. Polycarp was able to submit to God's will. He was able to do what was right even in the face of death because he knew the One who had done the same thing. He knew the One that had done the same thing in the Garden of Gethsemane and on the hill of Calvary. And that example of Jesus Christ and what Jesus did and what Jesus went through for us on the cross and and in the hours and days leading up to the cross became his inspiration to stand for Christ in his darkest hour. This morning as we, we come to Gethsemane and the betrayal, two really hard stories to read through. Really hard stories to think through when we think of our Lord and our Savior and what he went through. My prayer is that we approach this both with a a passion for Christ and a love for Christ and understanding the historicity of what we're talking about, what He did, but also an understanding that He is giving us an example to follow as we hit those dark nights of the soul, as we hit those difficult days, just as it did for Polycarp. Turn with me to Luke chapter 22. Luke chapter 22 will be in verses 39 through 53 today. If you don't have a Bible with you, there's a black one right under a seat around you. Every other seat has one under it. If you don't have one at home, please take that home with you as our gift to you. So you have God's Word. But we're going to work through the, the story here in, in the garden, in the Garden of Gethsemane and what happened there. And, and even though it's a difficult story, we will learn from it and we will be challenged by it and ask the Holy Spirit to work. Luke chapter 22, 39-53. And I actually want to start with verse 53. I want to start at the end of the story and at the end of this section. And verse 53 says, When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. And Jesus is talking to those that have come to arrest him. But catch the last sentence. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. But this is your hour and the power of darkness. And that's how this section ends. And it ends on this note of this is the time that darkness has been allotted to have its say, to, to have its way. But we're going to find out then through this passage, how did Jesus deal with this hour of darkness? How did he confront and how did he respond? And this is a, just a, a difficult way to leave it. It's you know for those of you movie buffs, it seems like in every trilogy, episode two ends like this: darkness is winning, and darkness has its way. But the good news today is that darkness does not overwhelm our God. He does. It does not overwhelm our Savior, and in fact, it never had its way except for what God allowed in His perfect plan. And so we come today with that knowledge, knowing that God is sovereign and God is in control, just like we sang this morning. And so jump back to verse 39, and we'll start with 39 through 46, the story of prayer in Gethsemane, and I want to read those verses, read that whole section, and then we'll unpack seven different things about prayer that we see. And Luke, actually, we're going to find gives us the shortest account in the Garden of Gethsemane. But it's the most precise account where, where Luke is zeroing in on the issue of prayer. And so he, he wants us to, to notice Jesus' prayer and, and what Jesus instructs us with prayer. So he takes away some of the other details so we can just zero in on the idea of prayer. But starting at verse 39, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And the disciples followed him. And when he came to the place, he said to them, "'Pray that you may not enter into temptation.' And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, "'Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will but yours be done.' And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground." And when He rose from prayer, He came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And He said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. As we unpack these verses, I wanted to read them all together just to give us a sense of what Jesus was going through. And and, and this should bother us a little bit because... Jesus is our Lord and Savior and we've devoted our lives to Him. If you're a follower of Christ, you've devoted your life to Him. You acknowledge what He's done and we love Him. And to see someone we love, to see someone that has done so much for us going through this kind of agony, this kind of grief, is a difficult thing and should be difficult and should draw us into this story, to to draw us into His example. And those of you that are parents... You know how hard it is to see someone you love hurting. And just recently when Mark got injured, it was the, it was just so difficult to see him on the field on the ground and, and to know that he was in pain and I couldn't do anything about it. That's my job, right? Fixer of all things in the home as dad. And, and that I couldn't fix. And my heart and Susie's heart was just was just broken for him. And I've talked with so many of you as parents and you have the same... Same encounters as you watch our kids go through things. That's the kind of emotion that we need to come to this passage and the one following with, and actually this whole section. Our Lord and Savior suffered on our account. Suffered for us so we could be saved. And so we're drawn in and we listen. Verse 39 says, and he came out and went. And, and the, the setting here is we're coming right from the Last Supper. And they were just in the upper room and they had just celebrated the Last Supper together and, and they're celebrating the Passover and Jesus had just did some teaching. He gave some hard teaching, preparing them for what was, what was coming, telling Peter he was going to deny him soon and that they should all be ready and be watching for temptation and be ready for the trial that was coming. And so it says, "...and he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives." Now Luke doesn't tell us exactly where on the Mount of Olives, but by looking at Matthew and Mark, we know that they went to the Garden of Gethsemane. And the Garden of Gethsemane was right at the base of the Mount of Olives. So if you, if you went out to Jerusalem, you went down to the Kidron Valley, and then you started to come up, and boom, you're in, the, you're in Gethsemane. Maybe a football field length or two. So, so not very far. Gethsemane the garden of gethsemane was an olive garden an olive tree garden I have a picture here of olive trees And this is right around the area where they think the garden of gethsemane was The trees are all gone that were there, but these are very old trees Um, The romans when they came through in AD 70 burned everything and, and destroyed everything. So this is a little more recent but this would have been what the Garden of Gethsemane was like, a, f- a garden full of olive trees. They would have had a cave nearby with an olive press. In fact, the word Gethsemane means olive press and to be to be pressed in, which is really interesting when we, when we think of the story there. This was a normal place for Jesus to go. So he often took his disciples there to pray. That's how Judas knew where to find him. And so they, they left the upper room, and Jesus knows what is about to happen. And as was his custom, they go to the Mount of Olives. Probably 10 or 11 at night, maybe a little later. um, They had been eating, feasting, drinking some wine. And Jesus initiated and said, let's go pray. Let's go pray. One of the interesting things to me is that, that Luke throws in the word, as was his custom. And it's a reminder that Jesus had a choice of whether to go there or not. He could have avoided arrest. He could have avoided the cross by not going to his usual place. He knew Judas was going to come. He knew that's where Jesus was expecting to find him. And so he could have avoided all this, but he didn't. We're going to see that as a theme throughout this whole story. So he came to the the Mount of Olives. Disciples followed him. and, And they're coming along, and they still don't understand what all is happening. And in verse 40, And when he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And so his first instruction to them, and we know from the other Gospels that there were three different times he came and went, but he he says, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And as we look through the difficult times, as we face the, the dark times in our lives, this is the first step if we're following Jesus' example. Specifically pray that you will not enter into temptation Or fall during it. And that's number one in your notes. Specifically pray that you will not enter into temptation or fall during it. And a couple things about this instruction. That word for temptation can mean temptation to sin or it can mean trial. Something that is coming on you, which is also a temptation to, to lose faith in God and to lose trust in God. And so Jesus looks at them and says, pray that you won't enter temptation. And the word for enter is to not even come into the place where temptation exists. And so many times we pray, please help me not to sin. Right, God? Please help me not to sin. I I know I'm going to be tempted this way. Please help me not to fall there. Please help me not to give in to to this and help me not to get angry today. Help me not to lust today or whatever it may be. And those are great prayers. But notice Jesus takes a step further backwards. He says, pray that you don't even get into temptation. Pray that you're not tempted to fall in that way. The word for enter there sometimes was used of actors entering a stage. And, and the idea was you enter into the place where these things could happen. And, and actors don't enter a stage and go, oh, wow, someone built a set. This is really cool. What a shock. And, and Jesus is saying, don't even come into temptation that way. Pray that you're not in the place where you'll be tempted. Think about this. Think about what if you woke up tomorrow morning and you were thinking through your day and you started intentionally thinking, you know what? I might be tempted in this situation. Or I might be tempted in this situation. Drivers in the morning around Disneyland, they have lost their minds. And I'm going to be tempted to road rage. And so what if we, instead of in the middle of it, saying, Lord, help calm me down. Help. What if we started the day by saying, Lord, help me not even to be tempted. Help me to avoid that temptation. Maybe you have a coworker that just annoys you to no end. And so maybe you start the day by saying, help me not even to be tempted to respond in an unloving, ungodly way. You know, what if we, instead of in the middle of, of seeing something that would tempt us to lust, Instead of in the middle of it saying, Lord, help me to stop, we said, Lord, help me not even to to see that today, not even to enter into that. And so we begin to change our prayer, if we understand what Jesus is saying, to, to not even be tempted. Yes, to not fall, but to not even be tempted. David Garland writes, prayer establishes roots in divine soil that not only absorbs its nutrients, but also holds one securely when the winds of testing batter one's faith. Let me repeat that. Prayer establishes roots in divine soil that not only absorbs its nutrients, but also holds one securely when the winds of testing batter one's faith. See, if we're serious about this kind of prayer, to not even enter temptation and to not fall when temptation does come our way, that that prayer becomes something that holds us securely. We may not even know why it happens or how God works that way, but we know Jesus said, pray that you not enter into temptation. And so we obey and trust that God will help us through those temptations, those trials, those difficulties. The disciples were facing just a really dark time as their their rabbi, their teacher, was about to be arrested and crucified, and many of them fled and, and departed ran away. And their temptation, their trial, would be, do I trust God and stay with Jesus in in the difficulty, or do I forsake Him and run? And they didn't do real well, most of them, in the days that followed. Eventually, they came back, and God brought them back. But this was something that Jesus knew that they were going to face. So many times I talk to people that are saying, I have this sin in my life, how can I get over this? How can I get over this problem that I just struggle with and struggle with and struggle with? And we all struggle with certain sins that, that have have their tentacles around us. And and what we see in Scripture are two things if we haven't prayed about that temptation and not to enter it, and if we haven't memorized or studied God's word on it, then we're going to fall. Those are the two things in Scripture that, that Jesus and, and the psalmist say, these are how you avoid sin. And, and I would argue today, Village, if, if we have sin in our lives and we haven't been diligently praying to, to even avoid the temptation of that sin, and if we haven't been memorizing God's Word on it, then we aren't serious about conquering that sin. Because God lays it out as simply as He can, do this to avoid sin. And, and I'm challenged because sometimes I have to ask myself the question, if I'm honest with myself, do I really want to overcome this sin? Or, or do I just want to give that lip service? Do I really want this gone? Or is this a pet sin that I want to keep around and pet every now and then? Pray that you will not enter temptation. Can we take these words seriously? Just right before in verse 31, Jesus said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you, and and actually the word for you is plural, y'all, that he might sift you like wheat. Trials are coming. Prayer needs to happen now. So this week, add to your prayer list ways that you might fall and pray to avoid those ways. And see what God does. All right, Torrey puts this into to words really well, and I, I believe I put this quote in your notes. The reason why many fail in the battle is because they wait until the hour of the battle. The reason why others succeed is because they have gained their victory on their knees long before the battle came. Isn't that amazing? That's what Jesus is saying here. Pray that you won't even enter the place of temptation let alone sin. So point number one, specifically pray that you will not enter into temptation or fail during it. Number two, and out of that same verse, ask others to pray for you. If we're serious about getting through the dark times, we've got to be vulnerable with each other. We've got to open up with each other and ask others to pray for us. Jesus here has his disciples with him in one of the most agonizing times and most personal, intimate times we see between he and the Father. And he, he tells them, pray that you will, will not enter into temptation. We know from Matthew and Mark, he asks them to keep watch with him, to watch over him. He's asking them to enter the process of his temptation and his Trial and, and as he's begging God and asking God, can this pass? Is there any other way? He brings some men along says, I need some men to pray for me. And we know from the other Gospels he actually took his three closest disciples further into the garden and they could see and they could hear and they were to be praying for him. If we're going to make it through the dark times, if we're going to make it through the hour of darkness, We need to pray that we don't enter temptation, but we've got to have men and women around us that are standing with us. And in an individualistic society, sometimes it can be so difficult to share some of these things. I'm struggling with can be some of the hardest words we say because we're admitting we don't have it all together. But they might be the most powerful things to say to have prayer warriors on our side standing in battle with us. Jesus did it. Jesus brought men along to pray with him. Do you have friends like this? Do you have people you can trust with the the intimate details of your soul that will pray for you? Because we need that. And, and this has a direct implication for what kinds of friends we have. We can have all kinds of friends, and we can have friends that maybe aren't even believers that we can share stuff with, but they can't pray at this level. So this implies we must have a, a, a circle of friends that are sold out and passionate for God that will stand in prayer with us, not just say happy thoughts to you. Do you have those people? If not, start cultivating them today. One of the one of the biggest ways we do that is to, to find some people, men and women we can trust, and be willing to open up a little bit. And to say, yeah, this is hard. This is hard. But the benefits of asking someone to pray with you are enormous. They're huge. Because then we're not alone. And we have the, the power of prayer multiplied as other godly men and women are on their knees praying. We go on in the text, verse 41, and and we'll look especially at 41 and 44, we see Jesus' example of prayer. And point number three is we need to pray hard, diligently and seriously. And and we talked a number of months ago, I did a message called No Weak Sauce Prayers. That's sort of what this is. We need to pray hard and diligently and seriously. 41 and 44. And he, being Jesus, withdrew from them about a stone's throw and he knelt down and prayed. Now this is where culture matters because we can read that and say, okay, he knelt down and prayed. So what? That was not their normal posture for prayer. Their normal posture for prayer was to stand up, eyes to the heaven, hands raised. That was how you gave a normal prayer if you were distressed or or if you were just burdened by prayer, that's when you might kneel down or lay down, face down before God, begging God for His help and His mercy. And so even this this knelt down and prayed tells us what kind of prayer Jesus is praying. And and we'll, we'll look at the content of the prayer in a moment here, but jump to verse 44. And being in agony, He prayed more earnestly. And his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. And we don't know if that actually was blood. There is a Doctors have said some um, capillaries can burst if you're so intense and so serious. It could have been blood. The text just says like blood. So it was huge drops of sweat. The the point isn't whether it was blood or, or huge drops of sweat. The point is it was intense. And Jesus was praying with all his heart, pouring his soul out to god this was no weak sauce prayer this was a prayer from the heart that was diligent and serious see prayer true prayer that is that is hard that is diligent is is so important because it shows our dependence on god and our prayer should reflect that dependence Prayer that that is hard submits our will to God and is willing to come under His will and expresses that to God. Prayer that is diligent is communion with God to where we are listening and we are praying. It's not just a two-sentence, Lord, help me with this, see ya. But it's a conversation that is deep and intimate and real. Prayer draws us into His presence. And when we read that Jesus is in agony here, uh, there's a, a lot of discussion of what that means. But I would propose this. I, I actually don't think he's in agony about losing his physical life. And, and I don't think he's in agony about the torture that's about to come. Now, now that's all horrible, but he has a bigger picture of that. I think the agony here, and most scholars would agree, the agony is he knows that he is about to be numbered with the transgressors, that he is about to take on and bear the sin of every human being that has ever lived or every human being that will live. And he's going to bear that in his body on the cross... And the wrath of God is going to be poured out on that as judgment for that. And at that moment, He'll say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And, and in, in, in theology, I don't even understand of how the Father and the Son can say that and, and how they can be separated at that moment of time and how God's wrath can be poured on Him. that moment that is coming, I believe, is the agony He's talking about. Your sin and my sin. The weight of that. Goodness, we can't even bear our own sin without agony. Let alone every human being that's ever lived. And Jesus knows that this is coming. And He knows that He is the Lamb that is sacrificed for us. Taking the penalty so we don't have to if we serve Him and follow Him. Dying the death we deserve to. That's the agony And so Jesus prays seriously, hard, diligently. And if we are to see prayer have an effect on the dark hour of our souls, we need to be serious about prayer. And give it time. And talk about these things with Him. Bear our heart how we honestly are doing with this. Ask Him for His will. Be willing and express to Him that we are willing to submit to His will to show us how He can use this for His glory. Those are all parts of hard, diligent prayer. So then we come to verse 42 and we see the content of Jesus' prayer. Jesus said, Father, if You're willing, remove this cup from Me. Nevertheless, not My will but Yours be done. And this is a familiar passage and and this is what, what... poems are out of and songs and we've heard this but don't lose the impact of jesus saying if it is possible let this cup pass from me and cup was used of the old testament to reference god's wrath to reference his judgment and he's saying is there if there's any other way that i don't have to bear your wrath that i don't have to be separated from you if there's any other way let's 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 do that but then he says, but, but your will be done. And even in, in verse 42 there, look at, look at the, the beginning and the end, the bookends, I like to call them. Father, if you're willing, he refers to the will of God, then his request, remove this cup from me, and then back to God's will, nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Everything here is couched in the understanding that he wants God's will. Everything has to be seen in light of God's will first. But yet he's honest. And so point number four there is be willing to accept God's will while being honest in prayer. Be willing to accept God's will while being honest in prayer. And this is, this is the center point of the text in, in understanding how to pray when we're struggling, how to pray when it's dark. The first thing we, we need to realize is be honest with God. If we're hurting, tell him, God, I'm hurting. This stinks. God can handle that. It's not like he doesn't already know that. And so we need to come and be honest. And and Jesus is honest with his his request. If it's possible, let this pass from me. And this shows the depth of Jesus' relationship with his Father. And he starts even with the word Father. Father. And he pours out the full range of his emotions to God. And we see that again in the other Gospels as well. And in verse 44. But while being honest, he's not demanding. Do you see the difference? He's honest, but then he says, whatever your will is. And he doesn't demand it's okay to ask for healing. If you, if you have chronic pain, if you have situations in your life that, that are just you're really struggling with, it is okay to ask God to remove that. It is good to ask God to remove that. But in the context of saying, I'm willing to listen to you and follow your will. Your will be done. So here's the thing. God is a loving God that wants to answer prayer. And if we come to Him and say, Lord, help this to pass. Help me not to have to go through this. And if He says no, that means He knows that that is the better way. And we can trust that He answers us. And if, if the answer isn't that this is removed from us, whatever the dark times we're going through, if it's not removed, then we know that His answer is, you've got to go through this. But I'm going to help you through it. So many times we, we think, and I've felt this too, well, God never answered that prayer. Baloney. No, He answered, but He said, my will is for you to go through this. And that's hard. That's hard to hear. I think it was hard for Jesus to hear because of the intensity of the emotion. At this moment, we again have Jesus with an out. And Satan is tempting him to refuse God's will to take a different path. But he didn't. He didn't. Praise God. And so we see Jesus' willingness, willing acceptance of God's will even while being brutally honest. See, real prayer in point three and four, real prayer takes this kind of work. It takes expressing this emotion. It takes adoring God's attributes and understanding His will. And and we make our request to God, but then we submit to Him. That's the work of prayer. In verse 43, which I love 43 following this, because 43 is God's answer, by the way. And there appeared to Him an angel from heaven strengthening Him. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven strengthening him. And number five in your notes, God will strengthen, not necessarily take away. God will strengthen, not necessarily take away. Jesus' immediate answer to prayer was an angel that came and ministered him and strengthened him to go through what God's will required him to go through. The answer wasn't, you know what, I do have another way. We're going to kill Barabbas instead. No, this is my will, but I'm here with you, and I'll walk this with you, and I'll strengthen you. I love that verse. An angel came and ministered to Jesus. In the same way, when you and I are going through situations that seem unbearable, that seem challenging, and we pray If God chooses to not remove that, then that's His will. And He will give us strength to get through that. He will minister to us as we seek Him, as we look to Him. He will not leave you alone in that. And He provides to Jesus the means to go through the cup, not the removal of the cup. Sometimes those times when God provides the strength to go through that trial. Those times can become the most precious times of growth in your walk with God. They're the times that I look back that I that that I wish I didn't have to go through, but I wouldn't change that I went through it. Does that make sense? Because those are the times I look back and say, I learned more about God in that time. I learned more about trusting Him. I trust His faithfulness. Great is His faithfulness because even in my dark time, He walked with me and He ministered to me and He helped me through it. Don't underestimate the power of His strength in dark times to to help your walk with Him grow and flourish. God will strengthen, not necessarily take away. And we trust that He knows when to do what. Number six, don't give up and give in to grief. Don't give up and give in to grief. When we are in a dark hour, the dark night of the soul, and we've prayed and we still don't see how we can get through, it can be so easy, become so weary from what we're going through and so overwhelmed and we just say, I can't even go on. I, I I don't have the strength to even face tomorrow. Don't. Don't give up. Look at 45 and 46. And when he rose from prayer, and it's really interesting because the idea is he, he's had this intense prayer and he gets up and he's buoyed. He's in, he's in a better place after praying. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping for sorrow. And Luke's the only one that gives us really the reason. and the, the, For sorrow, they're so overwhelmed by grief and what is happening and they're starting to realize that Jesus now three, four, five times has said, I'm going to die. And, and they're starting to realize this is coming apart at the seam. Someone's going to betray him. And they're so overwhelmed from sorrow that they sleep. And they can't keep watch. And they can't stay in prayer. And so Jesus, who devoted Himself to the hard work of prayer, is lifted up and ministered to and ready to go on. the disciples who couldn't continue in prayer are asleep in sorrow. Sort of, which which do we want to be? And prayer is the difference. And staying in prayer. See that contrast. Grief and sorrow is the result of not going to God in prayer and trusting His answer. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 verses I love about prayer says, Do not be anxious about anything or don't worry about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the promise that follows it is, and the peace of God which surpasses human understanding will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Paul says, if you're going through the darkness, pray Give it to God in prayer. Let your request be made known to God. The result is his peace will help you through that. And will guard your hearts and your minds. To the disciples, they needed to keep praying. In fact, in 46, he says, and he said to them, why are you sleeping? Rise and pray. Wake up. Get up. Be devoted to prayer. It's that important that you may not enter into temptation. Did you catch 39 or 40 and 46? They, they say the same thing. Rise and pray or pray that you may not enter into temptation. And Luke is using a, a literary device called an inclusio, sort of, I call them bookends again. To, he starts with this topic. He ends with this topic. That is his focus of this story is to pray that you won't enter into temptation. And in the middle, we see Jesus doing that and not failing during this time and trusting God. And the comparison is the disciples that prayed. One of our times in Israel, I was teaching on this passage in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is an amazing thing. And afterwards, our guide came to me and says, you know, you need to know something else that maybe you should share when you teach on this. So I'm going to share with you just... His heart's for the disciples. And sometimes they get a bad rap here. He says, remember, they just ate good food for two, three hours they had at least four glasses of wine with the cups with the Passover and it's the middle of the night. (laughs) Don't be too hard on them. (laughs) And I love Ronan because he gives so much culture that I don't think about. But still, Jesus says, rise and pray. Don't sleep. Overcome even the natural inclination to sleep and our natural tiredness and our natural way of just wanting to to check out and trust God that God is sovereign and wants to hear from you. The next section is, is point number seven and it's sort of all together because it's the result of this. And point number seven in your notes is we're praying through the dark night. Accept God's answer. Get up and willingly seek His purposes. I could have said, get off your tail end. But this is, this is the example we see in Christ that He had prayed, he had given it to God, he accepted God's answer, and then he willingly gave in to his purposes. And so we get to the arrest here. And and again, this can be hard, but understand the background that prayer has happened and God has said, no, this is my will. He's given the strength to go through it. And so now this is God's will enacted. This is Jesus acting on it. So in verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd. And so while he's telling his disciples to get up, the crowd comes and the man called Judas, one of the 12, was leading them. And and I need need to stop for a minute and get get the picture again. I had mentioned only like one or two football fields is the gate of Jerusalem. Now, the thing is, back when Jesus was alive, they didn't have streetlights. And in fact, you could see from Gethsemane, you had a straight shot over the valley of everyone coming in and out of the gate. And in the middle of the night, you're talking 20, 30, 40 people carrying torches out the gate. Jesus knew at least 10 to 15 minutes, not to mention His sovereignty and His omniscience, but even just sitting there in the garden, He's watching them for 15 minutes come to Him. And He still didn't leave. And He still didn't run. Easy, just go up and over Mount of Olives, you're gone. And he stayed there and accepted God's will. He could have left when he saw them coming. He could have gotten out of it that way, but he didn't. He chose to die for you and I. And so while he was still speaking, and these first two verses are the betrayal, Judas comes and he drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? And These two verses break my heart too because Judas was one of the 12. He had spent three years with Jesus. And and Luke is intentionally highlighting the intensity of the betrayal, the depth of the betrayal, the kiss that he came up to give. Now, for us, that might be a little weird, but um, and don't be doing that afterwards. But um, that is something you came up to your teacher or someone you respected on greeting and you gave him a kiss on the cheek, maybe both cheeks, And it was a sign of respect. It was a sign saying, I love you, I care about you, I respect you, I follow you. And that's how Judas chose to betray the Savior. Luke mentions one of the twelve. Judas, one of the twelve was leading them. And he's mentioning that to say this was Jesus' inner circle. He betrayed Him with an act of respect and homage. This is horrendous. This is hypocrisy. This is the part of what Jesus had to go through. And Judas kisses him. Probably not to say, hey, this is Jesus. You don't know who he is. They had seen him every day. But probably this is Judas saying, I know where he is. And the leaders, they're trying to arrest Jesus in the dark of night away from the people. Because remember their fear? If we do this in front of the people they're going to get mad at us. They're not they love him. So we'll do this at night. Hey Judas, you know where he'll be? Yeah, I know where he'll be. And he takes him. And he turns him over. And so the dark gets darker. This is the most painful of situations. But Jesus accepted it because God enabled him to go through it. And I think again of the dark times that I go through and that you go through. And if I've prayed about it and if I've trusted God, can I willingly accept God's will even in the depth of something like this? Things like this are why Polycarp could say, he's never failed me, I will not fail him. And in 49 and 50, we see the resistance. 47 and 48 is the betrayal. 49 and 50 is the resistance. And they still don't get what we talked about last week, where Jesus said, Buy a sword, and he's just saying, Be ready for trouble. And they're like, We got two. And now they're gonna go, they're gonna double down on that. And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? That's probably Peter talking there, because we know from the other gospels, Peter's the one with the sword. Lord, shall we get him? Shall we strike with the sword? And one of them, and notice there's no answer for, they didn't even wait for an answer. Lord, shall we strike with the sword? Aha! so it happened and one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear i just don't think that's where he was aiming <laughs> they're not used to they're fishermen they're not soldiers <laughs> and so there peter just runs in as peter usually does cuts off the right ear Trying to protect Jesus. I I appreciate the heart. I appreciate that he wants to protect Jesus. He's still thinking Jesus actually meant a sword. And and he hasn't understood Jesus when he said, that's enough of that talk. And and so he runs in to protect Jesus. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. And he said, no more of this. And he touched his, his ear and healed him. And this begins the acceptance again. Because Jesus, he's not... He's not leading a rebellion. He's not leading an armed rebellion against Rome. This is not the nature of his purpose. And so he corrects Peter and he corrects the problem. See, Peter is doing what so many of us do, which is why I relate to him. He's taking matters into his own hands. Doesn't even wait for God's answer. His prayer is a quick prayer you uh, wouldn't call it a prayer question. Shall we hit him with the sword? And without even waiting for the answer of the master, he goes in and impetuously cuts off the ear. And we do the same thing. We try to take control, we try to help God out a bit. We try to take matters into our own hands. And and I know that there's a a balance here and it's a difficult balance because pray and take action. I'm all for praying, submitting to God and trying doors, trusting that God will open the doors that He wants to open. But we have to be careful of thinking it's in our control. And it's, it's my job to fix this. And it's my job to avoid this. And so while we can relate with Peter, we need to learn from Jesus and say that's not the way. Jesus is humbly submitting to the Father's will here. And then we get the following of God's will. The will of God followed in 51 to 53. But Jesus said no more of this. He touched his heel and ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and the officers of the temple and the elders who had come out against him, Have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs? Really? This is how this had to go down? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you didn't lay hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. He's like, uh, he's pointing out that they're doing this in an underhanded way. They're not going through correct channels. They're not arresting him as they should in in daylight in front of people. They weren't even supposed to arrest him and have a trial at night. And he's pointing that out and he's saying, and, and, and you think I'm the criminal here? And he's gently just pointing out who's in control. And he says, but this is your hour. I am going to let you arrest me. I don't have to, but I'm going to let you arrest me. I'm going to let the power of darkness have its hour because it's only an hour, figuratively. It's only a short time. Jesus knows the bigger picture. He knows that He is about to defeat the power of sin and death. He knows that He is about to provide salvation for every person that follows Him. And so God's plan isn't taking a left turn here. God's plan is right on schedule, right on time, right on purpose. Jesus could have stopped this with a word, but He didn't. And He submitted to God. One author put, the real battle was fought here at Gethsemane. Here, Jesus willingly accepted the cup. Jesus, the last Adam, resisted the temptation in His garden. Wow. Wow. I would encourage you today, if you haven't followed Jesus, I would ask you, why not? Why not? Jesus could have stopped this any number of ways, any number of times. But He willingly, because of His love for us, He willingly went to the cross to take the penalty for our rebellion against God, to take the penalty for every single sin I've committed. And He still went. The one who knows me most and knows the the crud in my life most is the one who loves me most and chose to go to the cross. Seven things about prayer in the dark night that we can learn from Jesus and learn from his example. We will go through it. We will go through trials. The question is, will we have prayer and will we have a a trust in God's sovereignty in our arsenal to defeat that? we would like to end with a song. So worship team, if you could come back up. Just stand with us together. And this is a song that as we we enter the Christmas season, sometimes this would be a Christmas song, but it's one of the songs we have that ties both Jesus' birth and coming to pay for our sins, and it mentions His betrayal and death on the cross. Because when Jesus came at Christmas, when He came as a baby, He already knew Gethsemane would happen. And He already knew the betrayal would happen. He already knew the arrest would happen. And He still came to earth. And so when we think of Christmas, when we think of this baby and the joy of this baby, that baby came to bring salvation. That baby was going to go through the darkest of nights, but was going to trust God because He loved us and wanted to bring salvation. And so what a fitting way is to worship Him for that sacrifice. Lord God, our Father, we praise You for coming. We praise You for being the light that even though you knew what you were facing, you knew what you would face those days before the cross and on the cross, you still submitted to God's plan and God's will because His plan and His will was more important than the feelings of the moment and the brevity of time of what you would go through. Lord, thank You for that. Thank You for that example. And Lord, I pray for, for those in this room because I know in this room and I know many situations I know there's some darkness right now and some hurt and some pain and some trials and sickness and difficulty and frustrations. And Lord, you ask us to be honest and come to you and go to you, but to ask you that we not fall into temptation during those things, that we not fail, that we stay true to you, that we not forsake you because you have not forsaken us. And Lord, I pray that we as your church are lights for you and testimonies for you, even through the darkness, that how we come through those things will lead people to Christ, to the greatest news ever of what you've done for us. We bow our hearts before you. We bow our wills to you, God. In your name, amen. Amen.